guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Um, this is completely unexpected and unannounced. Um, I didn't think after listening to four podcasts in a row about the Rugby World Cup, I then have to jump into a boxing frame of mind. But, you know, I had this guy on the phone and I thought, actually, it's about time we we captured our conversation for the public. So I'm not even going to bother with any long introductions. He's a guy that you all know is a, a dear friend of mine, a guy whose journey... I've tried to help share from the start, so I'm just going to introduce Uma Sadiq. Uma, how are you? I'm great, thank you very much. That was a good intro, and uh, I'm glad to finally be on the pod. Uh, listen, man, new platform, but you know it's the same dynamic, man. We're you know we're here, you know we just have a just just basically it's good to have a catch up because I think one of the things I said to you was it's been I think we're past the year now since the Chelly fight, haven't we? Yeah, and and a lot a lot's happened in. I want to say your career, but now nah, a lot's happened just in life, and and one of the things that anchors my thoughts at the moment is actually that defeat tends to have this. It's it's always like an inflection point in a career because it's always that time when when you're winning, 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 you don't tend to want to change anything because you're like it's working. We're getting results. It's working, and then that mm-hmm. defeat happens. And then your eye, your eye changes, doesn't it? You get that critical look and you go back through the whole process and you start to go, where are the weak links in my situation? In this whole journey, where have the weak links been? And then you go through that process of revision and you go, how can I make this better? Yeah, um, I, I think you're right with that in regards to making changes. Um, in regards to people, though, um, I, I never once lost a fight and thought, all right, this person's got to go and that person's got to go. Um, because my initial thoughts were, these things need to change. And each person who's involved, this is what's going to need to change about you, how you work or how we work together. Um, and I'm not just saying it because I'm trying to be difficult. Um, history demonstrates that there's a reason behind why I'm saying this. And you're either going to be on the same wavelength as me or we're going to have to respectfully go our separate ways. And um, as a result of that, um, I ended up, I guess, going separate ways with a lot of people that were around me. And um, only one of them on bad terms, the rest were all on good terms. Um, they all saw the bigger picture and all understood um, what was being done. And there, was, there were a couple of people like, you know, I wouldn't say it was specifically, but a couple of people... It was just like, you know what, Umar, I see what you need and I actually don't think I can deliver it to you. And that's respectable and we're still cool. Um, there's only one person who I, I parted with on bad terms and I'm not going to give that person any, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give much attention to something that isn't so positive. But um, yeah, it's just crazy. So from a boxing perspective, my life has changed so much. From a personal perspective, my life has changed so much. A lot of it is to do with what's happened in regards to losing just over a year ago. And a lot of it has just been consequential. But um, what's definitely happened is that I've grown massively in the last year and um, the fire still burned. Which is fantastic. And it's one of these things, and I know, I know we spoke after the defeat, and I think I said at the time, because I know there was a... There was a lot of emotion at the time in terms of, you know, these are the things that happen behind the scenes and so forth, which I get. But I remember saying to you, 
you're going to be a completely different man a year from now after this defeat than you would have been had you won. Yeah, no, it's totally right, man. It's totally right. Even my mindset's changed. Um, my recent performances um, demonstrate that as well. Like, even my mindset in the ring, my mindset as a fighter, uh, my approach to being a fighter, just so many things have changed. And um, fortunately, they've all changed for the better. And I'm just excited for what's to come, man. Because when it's all said and done as well, um, I feel like that defeat set my career back a year. Actually, I don't feel like it. I know it has. But it's okay because I still have a career. I still have a good platform. I still have my wits about me. I still have the fire. I still have my self-belief. It could have been worse if it happened under different circumstances a bit later in my career. So, um, you know, this time around, it's, or I should say, this has set me back a year. Hopefully it never happens again. And um, looking forward to just fucking... <laughs> just want to knock people out now, man. <laughs> so, so here's the thing I find crazy. And, you know, I come from a completely different sport in terms of doing it at a high level. But boxing, yeah. defeats are almost terminal. Whereas, and I've been talking to guys I used to play rugby with coming up, and we we're talking about the whole World Cup. And mm-hmm. we're just saying, you know what? You can lose a game of rugby, and I promise you for about six hours afterwards, you, you literally just want to be in a hole in a cave, buried in dirt, and hope that no one sees you. But then mm-hmm. your brain says, actually, listen, we're going to train again on Tuesday, and we're going to do a lot of damage. Then we're going to go again on Thursday. Then we're going to win again on Saturday. And you have this short turnaround time where we don't, we don't delve too deep into the defeats. We take the pain, but we, usually, mm-hmm. we use that pain straight away. Whereas in boxing, it's, right, I've lost. Okay, I can go and spar and take it out there. I can train hard. I can do this. But I can't really seek redemption for another six weeks, another 12 weeks. And so... Mm-hmm. That process, I think, is tough for a boxer because you're there going, I want to make this right and I want to make it right now, but the way that boxing works, I can't do it that quickly. You can't. You can't. Um, and also, you know, even the whole thing about making it right in six or eight weeks or whatever, it's also about who are you coming back to fight? Because, for example, um, Progress has lost, lost to Taylor. He can't come back and fight a C-class fighter and redeem himself. It will still be like he was the the Taylor defeat will still be what's lingering over. But it's, it's just things like you do actually become defined by your defeats in boxing, and it's sad to say, but it's the reality. And even a lot of people in um you know your boxing media people, the YouTube channels and stuff, they do it. And I don't think they mean any harm by it, but you know the it shows from the things that they, or the questions they ask. For example, even up until today, one of the first questions, so someone would be like, oh, do you want to do an interview from my YouTube channel? I'm like, yeah, yeah sure, of course, let's do it. And one of the first two questions would be, so when are you going to fight Chelly? Or, um, so it's been a year now since you lost the Chelly. It's been a fucking year, so how about you stop talking about it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost like that's the only thing they see when they see you and it's like well I'm doing all these other things I've got I still have my career um, I don't ask them about the things I've got coming on or, or the things I'm currently doing um, that sort of stuff or, but then it, it gets deeper than that it's also just people generally um, it's people in your personal life people in um, boxing but not in the media front of it so just in boxing gyms and stuff people that you know through boxing just 
the way that people treat you or look at you just changes and it shifts. And it's not to say that it's a thing that um, bothers someone like me because I'm very self-confident and self-assured, but I still recognize it. And I think, okay, cool. Now I understand how this manages perception. And it's good to learn that because then these are lessons I can teach to somebody else when my career is over or when I'm a veteran in the game or whatever. And there's just observations that are also important to make just to allow me to navigate my way through this industry as best as I can. And it's but, that, yeah, it's a lot of the tough things as well. It's that massive dilemma. So with my training hats on, I like guys mm-hmm. to take a loss early. But mm-hmm. with my understanding the boxing game head on, hats on, sorry, I also realise actually taking that loss can be terminal. But you, you need it. Like I, When I talk to guys coming up, I say, look, it's just a question of when, not if you take that first L. And what you do when that L happens. You know, guys say, ah, you know, I'll never I'm lose. Not, I'll never do this. But it's coming. And so mm. it's better to get it out the way after five fights and then go, I've got 20-odd fights where I can always tap into how I felt on that night. Mm. Then you get 20 fights in, you take that defeat, and then you go, am I really as good as I thought I was? That's a far longer road back. Mm. There are different ways to look at it as well, to be fair, because once you're a certain name, if you take a defeat, you can get another good fight against a good name, and you beat them and you're back on track. But then when you're at the beginning of your career, it's hard to do that. So, for example, when I asked for the rematch, the question was asked to me is, what are you offering us? And reality was not much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so that's the position you're in if you take a defeat early. But then on the other side, just similar to what you just said, if you take a defeat early, so, for example, look at me. It's set me back a year. Fair enough. Cool. I've lost a lot of money in that time as a result. Um, but given an opportunity to fight for an English title now or something of that nature or even a bit higher, all I've got to do is win it and all of a sudden no one's thinking about the defeat because it's still the start of my career. Do you get what I mean? Whereas um, I guess when you're more experienced and then you take a defeat, it can be a bit harsher. No, you're right. And and. And when the Chelly fight happened, I'll tell you the thing, the first thing I thought of, because I remember that night we were rushing to get there. I think I got there at the tail end of the fight. And, okay. and when they were announcing the result, and I remember just thinking this, going, Twitter's going to just turn on him for no other reason than it's a chance to shit on me. Or it's a chance to shit nah. on the people that were banging the drum. Because that's what happens. It's mad, isn't it? Where people go, that's Terry's mate fucking lost. Nah, Terry doesn't know what he's talking about. And you're like, that's someone's career, man. Like, I'm incidental yeah. to the whole process. What? Yeah, do you know what, actually? So there are a few people online that are blatantly just Chelly's mates or, um, I don't know, his family or his bots. I actually think he's got bots. But um, <laughs> <laughs> there are a few of those that obviously gave shit. But for the most part, I'd say, generally speaking, people respected the fight. People respected us taking the fight. They respected that it was a good fight. There were people who thought it should be a draw. There were people who thought I should have won. There were people who were like, listen, fair play, you know, the right man won. But either way, most people were like, this was a good fight. Like, well done, come again. Um, so I don't think there was so much of that. Maybe just from these bots and these, you know, immediate people. And the other thing I find interesting is I was looking at who they've got for 
for this Joshua Rees undercard. And you look and they've got Tom Little boxing and you think, I've lost track of how many times Tom's lost. Mm-hmm. But because he's set himself up as a guy as, I'll win a couple, lose a couple, but you know I'm going to mm-hmm. give you entertainment before the fight and I'm going to give you entertainment in the fight. And, yeah. and, and it's just that reminder that defeats shouldn't be fatal to a career, not a career like boxing, because if, you, if you've got a certain skill set and you bring a certain, almost like a proposition, mm-hmm. and fans buy into that, fans will stick by you. If you put someone on a card who gives entertaining fights, is engaging to, to talk to and listen to, as long as they're talented and you can see the talent, the defeats are incidental. Defeats just show you're testing yourself, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think most of it is just people like to feel like they've been... Um, what's being delivered is what they were sold. So Derek Chisora is a perfect example. Derek Chisora gets a lot of lies because he just straight up says, look, I'm a ragged guy. I don't give a fuck. I come to fight. I don't care about the skills. Win or lose, I'm leaving it out all on the line. And most of the times, especially when he's matched right, he does exactly that. And people love him for it. The difference is, if you're Dillian White and you're saying, I'm fighting to become heavyweight world champion, you're held up to a different standard. Now you can't lose. If you lose your shit, you're not a world champion. So you'll get ridiculed if you lose, as opposed to a Derek Chisora that says, I don't give a fuck about the world titles. I'm just trying to be out here having a good fight. So there are different roles to be played, and it depends on what your aspirations are and how you market yourself. Um, And I guess that's really how you're assessed and um, judged. So... So we fast forward now, and it's 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 a whole new whole new team Sadiq around you. So, so you just want to just highlight who who's in the circle now, as opposed to you know who was there a year ago. Yeah. Obviously, let's well, not do I've the direct comparison. Yeah, I've got Lionel, main guy. Um, he was Repton head coach. Of a lot of um, listeners will know, I used to box for Repton Amateur Boxing Club, and um, it's a natural transition. I didn't want to do the cliche thing of going back to my amateur coach. So I did go around training with different people under different setups, some marquee names as well, you know, like Don Charles and Shane McGuigan and stuff. But eventually what made the most sense for me was um, working back with Lionel. Um, and my, the results of my last few fights have proven that we've got great chemistry. Um, we work as a team. Is so fucking brilliant to know that, that to get one-to-one sessions for every training session, and that's helping with development. Um, th- that's such an underrated thing. We've got David Hay on the team now. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I just put that out, and I was those of me that just uh, I was doing some work with David. And I just thought I'll just I don't know. I'll just tease people. But um, no, so Alan was the head coach. We've got Harry Andrews, assistant. Um, Harry Andrews for those. We don't know is the same person who trained um, Daryl Hamilton, um, trained Larry from Daryl, um, Shah Osgall um, for a bit, and um, a couple of others. And he works very closely with the iBox team. So, you know, so you're talking Eddie Lambs and Al Smith with Bradley Ski, Laurent Richards. Um, now we've got Dennis McCann, um, Prime Nagelka, and all of that lot. Um, so, yeah, so he works, he plays an assistant role. Um, and he's also just um, a bit of you know, the wise voice, so to speak, because of his experience. Um, then I have my strength conditioning coach, who's in Rumford, Ricky McFarlane, McFarlane training system. Um, I've got physios. I've got a full work spot. Um, so I do this full time and I've got 
a complete team and the entire team actually is different but it's functioning and my priority is to continue to be a better fighter every day and so long as my team are delivering that to me um, I'm a happy man just I just want to go back to the coach thing because it's one of the things I find surprising that a guy will train with someone from 11 years old till 18 to 20 right Training the amateurs, yeah. you win this, you win that, you do well, you have a great time. Mm-hmm. And they always assume that they're going to do better by leaving that and going to essentially a stranger. I'm always surprised mm-hmm. fighters don't stick with their amateur coaches because my- I've heard you say this before, Tell. And the reason being is, as much as, and I know you're not an advocate for saying they're two different sports, but I, I guess they're not. They're both. Both sports require you to hit someone and not get hit. But the rules and conditions under which you do that change dramatically between amateur and pro. So, for example, I'll give you, I'll give you a few good examples. An amateur coach typically, typically would have someone in a pad and they'll be going, one, two, three, four, double jab right hand, double jab slip back hand, blah, 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 blah. And I go into amateur gyms now and I see it. And it's all fitness-based. Whereas a professional coach sits back, and I'm not saying every amateur coach only does that. A professional coach goes, double jab, slip, backhand. Why the fuck is your head still on the center line? What have you done to nullify that and how have you rolled under? This is the right technique you're supposed to use. This is when you throw the shot. This is how you throw it. This is when in the fight you can do these type of things. This is when in the fight you can't because the third round is different from the sixth round. And all these things that... Are soft skills for the most part that make massive differences. A lot of amateur coaches are not versed in. So when you turn professional, a lot of times you're looking for someone who's able to deliver these things. Some people just do it for the sake of name. And a lot, there are a lot of fighters out there that'll just oh, I'm turning pro now. I need a marquee name. But there are other fighters who think differently. So um, one of the reasons why I didn't run directly straight back to land was some of these things. Um, and you know, like how do you? For example, if I'm struggling to make weight, what advice are you giving me? Um, is, is it advice based on me being able to be fit for three rounds or is it advice based on me being able to be strong in championship rounds but under the same intensity as I was in the first round? There's so many variables and soft skills, and you know this better than most, Terry, that I think when you take into account, you then suddenly start to realize that actually the style that a lot of amateur coaches are teaching are very good for short fights. When you're talking about long-distance fights and championship rounds, they more than likely wouldn't work. And a lot of times, that's testament to when you have an amateur and a professional sparring. And I have this, you know, all the time. Um, you spar with amateurs, and they'll be fantastic for two rounds, and then they're fucked. And they just about get through the third round, sometimes the fourth, and that's it. But it's okay because that's all they need for their sport. It's not their job is not to be there to make your life easy. Their job is to be there and get their good work, and it works brilliantly. But the fact that they're fucked after three or four rounds tells you that style is not sustainable. You need a coach that's able to transition. See, because that was my big change as a trainer. When when I first did it, it was all I needed to make the machine. You needed to make the pad sound like a machine gun. That's what you were always trying to do because you know mm-hmm. you'd you'd seen the Floyd tapes. You know, and this is a time when Tunde was doing his thing as well. So it was like, oh, this is, this is where it is. And then I went to New York and I met a guy called Sean Razor, God rest his soul. And he was a trainer mm-hmm. out in New York. And he was talking me through how he became a trainer. And he goes, 
I never learned an amateur style. I never learned a pro style. I learned what boxing was. And he said, mm-hmm. for my amateur guys, I told them, turn the volume up. And he's like, for my pro guys, especially in the longer fights, I said, turn the volume down. But it was yeah. the same principle, the same philosophy, same psychology. Because he's like, why would I teach you one way of boxing? And then when you finish in the amateurs, I've got to teach you a completely different way. He's like, it doesn't make any sense. And I think... That's a lot of fun to do. Yes, and if I go back to the conversation I had with Greg Hackett, and we didn't record this bit, but he was saying the same thing of, why would you teach someone something completely different? It doesn't make any sense. If you can box, you can box. Now, if you can box and you can fight, it's game over. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because one of the theories I've had is, I think you'll see in about five years, the successful guys will be the ones that carry whatever they had in the amateurs into the pros. They'll make no major adjustments. They'll just increase their capacity to do it for longer. Because you saw it with Lomachenko, and you've seen it with Usyk as well, where they've made subtle tweaks, but they mm-hmm. look like the same guys they were in the amateurs. Within reason, um, they also have... Um, let's just say they're able to maintain a higher work rate than most um, professional athletes or professional boxers. But um, that putting, being put aside... Your theory, which is practiced evidently in America, I think is brilliant. But reality, at least within the UK, is that that's not how people are being trained. Yeah, and you know why? Because you can you can literally come from doing pads for Mandy and Sue for 25 quid an hour at Fitness First to then coaching an amateur club. You can do... It's crazy. You do your two weekends for your level one, and now suddenly you're on the circuit teaching kids. And all you know yeah. how to do is hold pads. You don't really know how to, to create footwork. You don't know how to create the angles. You're not teaching them how to defend. And so I but watch it. Who about that, Terry? All you've got to do is you've got to make sure you're faster than the other guy, you're stronger than him, and you're fitter than him. You've got to That's be first, mate. Be first. Yeah, and be first. That's all you, got. That's all you need. And you fit more... It's a waste of fucking time. You're trying to be Roy Jones. And, and, and you know the sad thing is, so Fitzroy Lodge went back to England boxing this season, right? And, 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 and they're all bouncing off the walls and stuff, which is fair enough. I know a lot of people wanted to get stuck into the AVAs and stuff. But I looked mm-hmm. around and I said to Mark, I said, Rygate, mate, if, even if we win the AVAs, who are we going to beat this year? I was like, there's nothing out there that's exciting. There's no one, there's no one in another club I look at and go, you're special. There's no one now. Mm. You know, there's no one who's super experienced. Even our most experienced guy, Charlie Harrison, man, he's just living up life now. He's done his 90 bouts. I think he's close to 100. So he's just like, mm. let me just live life for a bit. So we don't even mm. have that experience. It's a load yeah. of young guys. They're not hungry like we used to be back in the days. The sparring's yeah. not scary like it used to be back in the days. And so yeah. I look at it and I go, these kids don't really want it. And so then you just become I, I, demoralized. It's just a different time, um, tell. And um, I, 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 one of my views on life is that everything's a cycle. And I remember being young and having older guys telling us, um, or being younger and the older guys telling us, oh, you guys are not like we used to be. Um, and I just look at it as the same thing. So I don't read too much into it. It is true. They do things different. Um, I mean, I'm based in an amateur boxing club, so I'm very privy to the attitudes that they have. 
Um, a lot of it is about how they look, whereas back in the day it was about performance, um, that sort of stuff. But reality of the situation is there are still enough people who come out boxing brilliantly and they might do it differently, but the results speak for themselves and they've got to be complimented for what they're doing. You know, I met a young kid in the gym, like my, my local fitness gym, and you know, he was asking for some advice because he boxes for, I think it's the Cuban Boxing Academy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when are you out next? He's like, I'm hoping not boxing for another two months. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 I need to get ready for the championships. I'm like, you get ready by just fighting. That's how you get yeah. ready. You're an amateur. No, nah, they have camps now. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what, with strength and conditioners and everything? Yeah, they've got to have a camp for the gym show and then they've got to have a camp for the... Um, championships and then after championships they go have a couple of weeks off go on holiday and that and then come back in and have a camp for the return fight which is a warm up fight for the actual fight yeah yeah you go have a couple of tune ups before you you know yeah. before you do the novices <laughs> yeah no, nah, but I think that's part of why a lot of fighters are turning pro very early nowadays um, well one of the things you've touched on is the competition is not quite the same um, the whole England boxing thing I think ruined it for a lot of people but also they live in their amateur boxing careers like they are pros. So a lot of them are just looking and going, hmm, I can have to sell a few tickets. Why not just go pro? But, and I think what you're trying to get out with that was back in the day, you just stayed fit all year round. At any point in time, you can get called up, turn it, getting told you. You you go in the gym on Thursday and get told you're fighting tomorrow and you were just expected to be on weight and ready. Um, and fighters today just don't do that. And I'm not going to complain, oh, you know, they do it so different. I mean, if I was a coach, I would coach my fighters to be ready all the time. But um, I'm not going to try to put down an entire generation of people. It's 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 how I it's my my belief is if you're in a boxing gym and you're allowing your kids to balloon between between fights, that's on you. That's not even on the youngsters because, like with us at the lodge, you got to write your weight down after every training session so we know mm. where you are. And what that also does is it makes you accountable because everyone can read it. And you'll be in the changing room. You know what it's like. It's like, why are you so heavy? What have you been doing? Yeah. 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 And unless you broke your leg, you're in for half an hour of abuse. It's your turn to take it. Well, you're not serious. You don't even want this, fam. Yeah. You know? And then you know in sparring, they're going to know, oh, you've been gone for four weeks. Look, you're looking a bit heavy. And you're just taking taking body shots. You better get this work. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the mindset you need, though. You need those... Because I can remember there was one there was a time I went to Repton on a Sunday to train, and it was when mm-hmm. when Burnsy was there and when Terry Dunstan was there, mm-hmm. and like it was one of those I always like to get my hours in in the week, and the lodge was shut on a Sunday, so I just went up to Repton. Burnsy's like, "Are you a fucking immigrant, mate?" Oh yeah, he's a what? Yeah, yeah, you a fucking immigrant? I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I'm here to see who'd you box for? I'm like, I'm at Fitzroy Lodge. Like, Mick would never let you come here, mate. And like, I got hazed for about five minutes. You got Dunstan in the background laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, mate, I'm just here to train. He's all right, mate. Yeah, yeah. Hit the bag for a bit. And then Dunstan was like, do you want to jump in and do a few rounds? And I'm like, fuck. Well, against him. Yes. And I'm like, fuck. And you know you yeah. can't say no at this point because you're the outsider coming in. Yeah. So I'm like, Fuck. So jump in. I'm like, how many? Three? He's like, yeah. Now, Dunstan's a skilled guy. Let's, let's be brutally honest. 
but he's also he also has a spiteful streak in him as well. So he was like, I'm not really going to hurt you to the head. I know I can land whenever I want, but you're going to eat these body shots. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> and it was like that for three rounds, man. But yeah, the thing I always remember that, about... Terry Dunstan knows all the tricks as well, man. Yeah, all that that tweaking the elbow. <sighs> yeah, he knows it all. He knows it all. Forearm in the face, pin you down, bam, pull your head down, uppercut, all these things. My introduction to actually boxing... Not dirty, but I'd say, but boxing extra smart on the inside started with Terry Dunson because it just opened my eyes up to to the fact that so many different things are possible. I was like, yo, like you can do this. What else can you do? And um, now, now I do a lot of subtle things about giving my game away on the inside that surprise people when they're boxing me on the inside. Um, yeah, and it starts from Terry. So <clears throat> and you're not chopping down my Dunson. <laughs> Come on, man. And, and you know what's mad? That guys like him never get any airtime. But these are the guys that were the real teachers. Him, Tony Cisse, Tunde. He's training, he's training Hamza Shiraz now. And Hamza's oh. fighting in his first um, title fight at the end of the month. So I guess after that, he's going to get pushed on a lot more. He's getting, he's getting touted well. Hamza's a good talent. And I think Terry Dunstan has got to get his um, acknowledgement from that. Yeah, he's a good boxing brain, man. I learned just even from that sparring and him taking time out afterwards to talk me through it and go, mate, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a voracious learner as well. And that, that yeah. Sunday changed me because I remember being in there and I can't remember the kids who were in there that day. But they were all doing, like, sit-ups. And I remember there was this one guy that was trying to go, like, I'm done now. And they were like, you need to get back here because you know we've got sparring next week, yeah? You're either part of this or you're not. And the guy came back. And they, they did another 20 minutes of like core work. And I was like, this is what you call a mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not quite the same like that, but the dudes do their circuit. And um, they get it working. They get it working. I tell you what they do do now as well. They just jump between gyms, don't they? The jump between gyms. Yeah, like oh, you mean the boxers? The boxers do. Yeah, you're like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I'm repped in this for these two or three months. Then I'm at All Stars. Then I'm at Fisher. Then I'm at Double Jab. Then I'm at the Lodge. They like, don't have the same rivalries that they used to. That's why. Because you know, in the old days, it was you represented your club like you actually did. And when you went to a show, you wore a tracksuit with pride. And you looked at the guys from the other clubs and you sort of thought, hmm, my club's better than yours. And you knew they were thinking the same thing. So it all came down to, we're going to beat you guys on this show more than you beat us, if at all. And that's going to make us have the bragging rights to, you know, talk all over you. But, and whoever won would, you know, brag about it. And whoever didn't would complain about how many times they got robbed and why they actually better. And that sort of rivalry there made it so made it more difficult for someone to leave one club and go to another because of all the dramas that were going on. Whereas nowadays there isn't any of that. Some of them are in alliance anyway, and some are not. Do you know what I mean? So of course it's easy to just step into another gym because there's not nothing holding you back. And that's another real shame as well, you know, because when they're young, they think the more places I go, the more influences I get, the more I learn. But it's too it's actually to disregard the reality that you've got to learn to box somewhere. 
And to do that, you've got to be consistent. Whatever that style is, good, bad, or indifferent, you almost have mm-hmm. to get to like level five out of 10. Before you can go to another club, you've got to get to level five out of 10 at one club. But mm. these kids are like, let me get to level three here. Then we're going to try and go to that club and get to level four. But when you go to another club, they already have their pet projects. Mm. So you have to knock one of those pet projects out to get yourself on that list. Yeah, it slows you down as well because they first got to find out where you're at before they know how they can move on with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you basically are killing the momentum every time. Now I'm just conscious that we're getting we're getting too hardcore, man. The audience will start going mad because one yeah, of the right, sorry. The, one of the thing, sorry. Now I was going to say the other thing I wanted to ask, and this is probably the the bit I forgot to ask a few minutes ago. What's the emotional journey been like since the Chelly fight in terms of just your own personal journey in and out of the ring? Uh, oh, fucking this. <laughs> it's been hard. The only thing that's kept me going is the mindset of keep going. Um, and also just being a problem-solving, solution-orientated person. Because, for example, I was living with my ex-girlfriend at the time um, when I boxed Chelly. And um, leading up to the Chelly fight, um, we kind of both knew the relationship was done. I definitely knew, actually. Um, and it was just a case of get through this fight before you give yourself any other things to think about. Um, and so shortly after the fight, when I say short, I mean like a week, maybe two at most, we broke up and she moved out. So now I'm living alone, single, and all of a sudden my bills are doubled. So where the fuck am I making the money from? So that's one thing. The second thing is, I had a conversation or a meeting with my coach at the time to address um, things that were unacceptable to happen going into the fight. And um, was shocked at the responses that he gave. So I had to sack him off. So I was like, well, I want to get back on the horse as soon as possible, but first I need a coach. So I was like, fuck. That just when you, start, that when you look at it sometimes without rationalizing it, it's just like, I am a boxer. I'm a prospect. I've just lost a fight. I need to get right back on track. There is a show in December by Frank Warren, but I can't get on the show because I don't have a coach. And they know that. And they're saying to me, tell us who your coach is and then we'll put you on the show. Because now my career's on standstill. My bills have doubled. Um, I've just broken up with my girlfriend. I don't know who's going to be coaching me. Um, and also I'm addressing things with my strength conditioning team and um, physio. Um, so then we went on into that then obviously Christmas New Year's came still looking for a new coach um, eventually um, found Harry and Lionel um, and then that had it cracking on from there because I, I had to take some time out as well actually so in November 18 I went away for a week so I travelled on my own anyway so, um, it's not that big of a deal for me but this time I went alone. I went away alone, and I stayed in an all-inclusive resort by a beach because I just wanted someone else to handle my food. I didn't want to think about tra- transportation. I didn't want to look at my phone, so I just locked it in the safe for most of the trip. Um, and I just wanted to walk around and just fucking be alone in my mind and figure out what's going on with life. And um, I feel like that trip helped me massively, actually, because the mind state I was in going into that trip was a distant memory. Um, from the mindset I came back from the trip with. Because when I came back from that trip, I came back with more fire in the belly. Like, okay, let's fucking do this. Let's own this shit. Um, but yeah, in that time, so obviously, my boxing team has changed. Things at home have changed. Um, 
but then, like I said, it's the way people treat you and all of that has changed. And it's, um, it's no longer, oh, Puma, there's this show. Um, we're looking to get you on. This is um, the type of opponent we're looking for. It was more like, I'm trying to phone them to find out when the next show is. Um, and the phone's not getting picked up. And then when it is getting picked up, I'm not getting definitive answers and I'm getting frustrated about waiting around. So I'm going out and just finding slots and third-party promoter shows just to stay active, not even knowing I'm not going to make any money from it. Um, but staying active is more important. You know, so I've had to do that and then, you know, like looking for the opponents and sorting out these deals in a small hall show, which is something I never had to do, but I guess now I understand what it's like to box in a small hall show. I also understand the business element of it and what a lot of these guys have to go through and I respect them massively for it. I used to look at people that had 15 sponsors in the kit and be like, oh, that looks so fucking messy. I bet he thinks he looks cool, but all I see is mess. And I can't even recognize any single logo because there's so many. But having boxed in a small horse show, I get why these guys do it because it's fucking hard, man. I've boxed in two small horse shows. I've made no money from any of them. Absolutely none. If anything, I've had to inject money in it. Fortunately, I've had um, someone to help me both times. But um, most people don't have that. And then on top of it, that's how they're trying to make a living. I've just done it to stay active. How the fuck do you make a living off a small show unless you're selling 500 tickets? It's so fucking hard. Um, So, of course, they're going to have the meat man. And, um, I mean, I'm vegan, but if I was in their position, I'd probably have the meat man fucking um, sponsoring me. Um, scaffolding and whatever else. I don't know how much these people are paying them. Maybe 200 quid or 300 quid a, a fight or a month or whatever. I don't know. But kudos to them, man. Them guys are working hard. And that's not to say I'm on the most money Frank Warren because had I not be, been a model, I'd absolutely be fucked living alone in London. Um, I did have a sponsor. Uh, I, I guess I do. The agreements have changed. So I've never seen even your sponsorship agreements change. Uh, everything changes. Just, um, you just left, you just realize that it's a stark reminder, basically, when you lose that. Look, you're genuinely in this on your own. And some people would still have your back, but the capacity to which they have your back changes. And others would just straight up turn their backs on you. It's a harsh fucking cruel world, but you can't complain about it. We've chosen to do this. I'm an educated person. I can go work in an accountant's office. I'm doing this by choice. So how dare me complain? when there are people doing it because they've got nothing else. Um, but that's not even to say that that's crossed my mind because I'm in this shooting um, wholeheartedly because I know I'm going to be an undisputed world champion and I'm very much on my way to doing so. Um, as far as some very good, good boxers, highly talented boxers, and if, so long as I'm able to carry what I do inspiring in the fights, I'm definitely going to be at world level given the opportunity and being matched correctly going up. Um, Yes, yeah, so I think I've just given a fucking long answer to a short question, but um, the reality of the situation is basically when you're a boxer, you are on your own. Um, everyone will promise you the world. Some because they're right and they know they're going to fuck you up, but others because they genuinely mean well. But the reality of the situation is when shit hits the fan, um, you know, it's not that you find out who's real because like I said, some people generally think they're real, but they just aren't able to stick with it. Uh, maybe they don't have what it takes. Maybe they don't have the foresight. Maybe they're not prepared themselves. Maybe they have personal things in the lab. 
But ultimately, you just need to be strong enough within yourself to bounce back hard. And I know it's a cliche thing, but it's not how hard you fall, it's like how you get back up from it. Um, and these are like crucial lessons I've learned. Amongst other things that I don't want to say without giving too much away, um, but one of the things I would say for sure is um, my attitude, even in regards to my in-ring attitude, has massively changed. Because, for example, before I was happy to get in the ring, I'm in a fight off a jab. But um, now I take the business side of it more seriously. Now I look at the other person like, yo, you're out here trying to make me go through what I just went through again. And there's absolutely no way I'm allowing that to happen. So, yeah, I'm going to knock you out or you're going to knock me out. But chances are I'm about to knock you out because I believe in my training. But, um, yeah, ran over. No, no. Do you know what? It's not because... I imagine people will listen to that and in various forms in their life they've had it. I remember once I mm. left one job because I was really, really unhappy and I hadn't yeah. lined something up on the other end and I'd forgotten how long the process is and how uncertain it is. And I've always been the guy that, A, I'm very independent. So, you know, you, no one even knows if I'm having a tough time because I'm like, listen, I'm going to ride my own pain on my own. And I can remember mm. there was a point Uma, in my life when I said, I'm on a fiver a day for Fuck. everything. You know, like, you, you, I mean, if I, had to, if I had to go from where I was living to, let's say, St. John's Wood, I had to walk. Mm-hmm. Mm. I had to walk or I had to cycle if there was air in the tires. And I was like, I've got to be so disciplined on this. And I remember saying to myself, when this turns around, I'm just going to be a killer. Like, I want to be yeah. a mercenary. And I'm just out for me and what I can get. And by God's grace, like, as, as I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I might have to tap out here. I got, mm. I got, oh God, just got offered a job into you by the grace of God. And you know when mm. I was like, right, I need to nail this. And I went in there and I was so hungry. It was like the thing was just happening in slow motion. It's almost like they'd given me the questions in advance and I just nailed it. And when that job contract came through, I signed it and took it back to head office. As soon as I signed it, I just went, right, I'm going Mm. straight there now because I don't want these motherfuckers to change their mind. But you're right. Your (laughs) mindset changes because I I remember just thinking, all these numbers in my phone, there's no one that can solve my problems here. My mum probably could, but, you know, my my, my mother's son, I've got to show her that I'm a grown man. But everyone... Pardon? Are you telling us you're from a rich family? Nah. Nah. But you know what mums are like? My mum would have sold nah. TV and everything. I'm a all, 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 all this that came from the bottom talk you've been giving us. Hey. The fucking silver spoon. All right, man. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> nah, but, but it is. So, so when you were telling me what you went through, my first question actually was, did you have anyone you could turn to? Or was it just, fuck, I need to get myself out of the situation? is exactly what you just said man it's the people who can mean well and wish you well and you know they love you but ultimately what the fuck can they do to help you man you're on your own you know all they can all they can tell you is oh that key guy if you need anything shout me all right well why don't you get uh, <laughs> why don't you get five warriors to pick up the phone and tell me the next time i'm fine <laughs> do you know what I mean? they can't they can't um why don't you get luke blackledge to accept a fight and fucking turn up they can't do it so, you know, you, you just got to make it happen yourself. 
and, and, and it's tough because, you know, you're hearing the world, ah, oh, you know, my life is this, my life is that. I tell you this now, and I don't think it's just a man thing. I think when you decide to, to walk the path less traveled, it's mm-hmm. just lonely. It is just lonely when you decide to stand alone, when you decide to leave everything behind you and go in a certain direction. And what you mm. really love is when you meet someone else on that same mission and you can bond. Yeah, um, I don't know. I've never had that. But one thing about me is I'm very, very comfortable in my own company. And I'm actually alone. I can have a fucking good time around people, and I actually do. But I never look for good times with people. I'm very happy being on my own. And I think, um, I know that's, that makes me a minority, but that helps me because I'm never left thinking, you know, oh, I wish I had someone here. Oh, I wish I was with this person. I just get on with it, man. And it, it, you know, and and I'm always, I'm always torn with this because I think boxing is its unique animal in that you tend to succeed on your own, but generally in life, success moves in groups, and yeah. it's what I try and explain to to young kids, especially young kids from the street who go, "I don't need anyone. I want to go and make it on my own." And I say, "No. At some point in your life, you're going to need someone to vouch for you, and you don't want yeah. to. You don't want to knock on their door." The day before you need them, you need to be building that relationship a year, two years, three years before you need them. Mm. You know? And it's the same in boxing. Like, when you're an amateur, your journey to going pro probably starts about 15, 20 fights before you finish your amateur career. That's when you're sparring Mm. the pros. That's when you're meeting the promoters. That's when you're meeting the managers. That's when you're showing Mm. them what you're about. And then they can track you. Oh, you did well in the ABAs. Notice that. Well, you, when they start asking you, what are you going to do next? Now you know you've got the relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of these lads go, right, I'm just going to turn pro. And they go and sign with someone like Steve Goodwin. And everyone's going to... Oh, hey, I'm going to ask you this, actually, for people of the point. But I'm going to flip this around. I'm going to ask you questions that I know that people that listen want to ask right. you. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Why, why is it whenever you talk about small hall promoters, even when you don't name names, you might say something like, um, let's call a random promoter. Let's say his name is, I don't know, Jim Bob from SW Promotions. And it's like from SG Promotions or something. I think you said that one of the pods. And I was like, okay, now he's talking about Steve Goodman again. <laughs> what is your problem with him? Because I met him and I think he's a nice guy. Okay. I think he's very really cool. And I've actually, one of the shows I boxed on was his show and, it ran fucking smoothly. I rang him. Everything ran smoothly. Everything he said that what he delivered. Fortunately, I'm a man of my word too. Everything I said I delivered. It was a seamless experience. Um, boxing the show, fantastic, great, and I'll happily do it again. So my experience of him is good. Why do you have a problem with it? Okay, I'm gonna keep it all the way real now here. Yo, flex, man. I'm gonna touch the city, flex. Let me talk to him, flex. No, no, look. <laughs> Let me be real, right? If you said to me, could I sit down and have a beer with Steve Goodwin? Yes. Could I sit down and talk boxing with Steve Goodwin? Yes. Do, did, were me and Steve on the same page and cool? Yeah. That's why I took John Pilata there, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I said to Anel Massey, sign. There's the list of people I've said, go and sign with Steve. Steve's all right. And I was like, okay. But then I started to see little things. And it was the... Because I got to see the Steve Don Charles axis up close, right? And, I, and 
Don was always good to me. In person, face to face, Don and I don't have a problem. We've got a lot of love and respect for Don Charles. You know that. Mm -hmm. But if you go back, I did a podcast on December 2nd after one of Steve's shows. Mm -hmm. And everyone on that show was dog shit. Everybody. Mm. The people on that show that I knew, I spoke to on the night and I said that wasn't good enough. If you aspire right. to impress, this, hear with the words. If you aspire to impress Steve Goodwin enough that he's going to get you a title shot, that's not the mm -hmm. performance to kick out. Mm -hmm. They got it. So I go on a podcast, right? And that's what I say. Because I've said it to them, there are no surprises. I'm not, not two-faced. Yeah. So what's said is said. Now, if Steve's got an issue with that, cool. He can ring me. Or he, can, he, can go, he can call Martin up and go, Martin, tell your mate to leave me alone. He can do whatever. Right? There's loads of things Steve could do. Yeah. So what, what ends up happening is Steve has a meeting with John Pilata and Don Charles. Mm -hmm. And he says, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't remember the exact words. It was, John, your performance was shit. Even Terry thought you were shit. Ooh. And he told me, he was like, and Terry told me you were shit. And I'm like, and John, John's a man of honor, right? So John rings me up and goes, this is what Steve just told me. And I was like, but John, we spoke after the fight and we spoke on Sunday. You know, you know what I said and you know what I said the solution is. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And he's like, then he was like, why is Steve doing this? So you imagine where I'm at at the moment where I'm like, Steve and I didn't have a personal conversation about the night or the fight, right? Mm. Steve should have been honest and said, John, I thought you boxed shit. Don't bring me into it. Yeah. But when you do that, you're trying to divide me and John. And then, right. then Don gets involved and goes, what the fuck does Terry know about boxing? Oh. So now I'm like, whoa, but I brought John to you. Yeah. Not only did I bring John to you, but you're asking me to bring other fighters to you. You respected me then. Where's this come from? And so I'm, I'm a guy where I'm like, I like integrity. If Steve had said to me, look, that's, this is what I'm going to say to John based on your podcast. I'd have said, cool. Yeah, it's in the public, so... It's a fact. But Wait, so you did say it on your podcast? I said it. Yeah, I said it. But when you make out as if I've had a private conversation with, with you as Steve Goodwin and then you're relaying what I said to you, I'm like, that's not true. Okay, got you. Got you. So, now, so now, I'm, now I'm like, I need to re-examine everything that's happened. I'm a bit more critical now. So that, that's when the first shots started to come out. And then when people heard that, then they started to tell me the stories about Steve forcing people to do six rounders when they wanted to do four rounders. And if you didn't do the six, you weren't boxing. I don't know why any fighter only wants to do four, to be fair. Finances. It's, it's cheaper to do a four rounder than it is to do a six. So if you sell X number of tickets to do a four rounder, you yeah, might have an 800 pound surplus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got paid up on it more. Now yeah. I know this stuff more. Yeah, so, so you flip that into a six, that £800 profit you had has just gone. Yeah, yeah, I've got you. So the guy's like, no, 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 let me do the four, then I'll do the six next time. So like, no, if you're on a box, that's what you got to do. And you're like... And there are a few things like that. And don't forget the, the issue with the heavyweight that's still paying Steve back money because they try to steal him off a promoter and a manager in Norwich, figure out who it is. And they try to mm. steal him and in the process of trying to steal him, someone stole him off them. 
yeah, I, I get your point now. Let's move on. <laughs> so, can you see that it's no, not? No, no, no. Let's move... I'm not involved. And this, 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 this is one side of the story as well. So, yeah, let's just no, And look, look, Steve is more than welcome to share his side. He's got his platform. You yeah, know? that's cool. You lot to do a pod together and then, you know, go back and forth about it. But I'd rather stay out of it. No, nah, no, nah, well, that's what you can't do a pod on that. That's something as men, you've got, you got to see each other and then you've got to have the conversation and then you've got to understand each other. Cool, fair enough. Because if you also yeah. remember, when people say, oh, you hate him. When the thing happened with the Albanians at his show, I stood up for him. And I said, Steve's not that sort of guy. He's not the sort of guy to fall asleep at the wheel. He runs a tight mm. ship and he's not going to tolerate that kind of bullshit. So yeah. I understand who Steve is as a man. I just fundamentally disagree with the myth he's portrayed uh, as if he's this good guy in boxing when he's got snake moves as well. But I believe everyone has to have a snake move in boxing or you're not going to eat. Mm, I don't agree with that, you know. As much as I said that, my attitude's changed. I, I mean, I, I think I still... Meant, uh, yeah, I, no, no, I think I know. I still have my integrity about me. I'm a, maybe I've just not been stung enough, but I still have my integrity about me for sure. Um, I'm just more wary and more aware of what's happening. And um, I, I think you can succeed without succumbing to becoming a shitbag. Not as a so, promoter. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Like... I spend a lot of time with Dennis Hobson, right? And Dennis will tell me stories all the time of, you know, buying the tag, her watches for the 2008 Olympians because they said they'd signed for him and then none of them signed for him. You know, you know, he got snaked. He thought he had guys like DeGale. He thought he had guys like Jeffries. He thought he had guys like Price. They snaked him. You know, I see mm. that he's probably in the hole for 35 grand on Liam Cameron. And I'm like, Dennis is... A man I respect because when he believes in you, he backs you with his own cash. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, look at him with Tommy Frank. He's like, I'm backing Tommy Frank. But does he want to come and buy me watches and spend five grand on me? Mate, if you can sell tickets in Sheffield, he'd love you. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm, I'm happy with Uncle Frank. The only honest promoter right <laughs> in the business. Love Frank. <laughs> now, listen, I like Frank. In the times I've met Frank, Frank strikes me as one of those old school guys. Who... Frank, do you know what? For all the stick Frank gets, yeah, Frank is a no shitter. Like he'll tell you what it is with him. Like if he thinks, if if he's got some shit to tell you, he'll just tell you. And if he's got some good stuff to tell you, he'll tell you. Like he cuts all the bullshit. That's what I really like about him, and I've liked about him from the start. Um, I know I've heard a lot of stories and people are oh, he's this and he's that, but he is definitely a straight down the middle. Like this is what it is, and typically he's a man of his word. Now nah, with you. I've I've got time for Frank. I'm not as close to Hearn, so I can't offer that same level of judgment. But maybe Eddie's like that too in person. Don't know. He didn't used to be. Who Frank? Eddie. Didn't used to be what? He didn't used to Eddie he was a he was a knob back in the days. Yeah, I've heard all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Even before like this matchroom boom, like when he was Seriously, when he was scratching around, he was a knob. Mm. Over overprivileged, entitled little knob. And the thing is, you can't be that way in a, near boxing people because we'll pull you down a few levels. Hmm. Another note. So, um, is there anything that you think your listeners would want to hear me talk about? Or Well, I, I, I thought they'd love to hear you grill me about some more things and just put me on the spot. 
<laughs> what is your <laughs> no um, no I was going to ask about Steve Goodwin because obviously it came up um, but if something else came up I would ask um, when are you going in a new age boxing podcast again wow um... when are you making an appearance because they, they made they made a podcast recently actually they made two recently um, they did an off a win one um, after the boxing series, world boxing series. Oh, Inoue and Dene, I haven't seen that. Was that, that was tonight, isn't it? Um, mate, it was a weird one. So <laughs> I, had I haven't two, watched it. I had two meetings back to back. So in the first meeting, it was a presentation from some externals. I was just yeah. watching that. So I watched the first, the first half of it. Yeah. Then I had to jump into a more serious meeting, so I couldn't. It was a, it was a good fight, but it shouldn't well, be a good well, fight really, when... I haven't watched it yet, though, really. No, no, but I'm just going to say that it shouldn't have been a good fight if oh, you right. believe the Inoue hype. That should have just been a... Like, you shouldn't have even needed the bell. Do you see what I mean? Inoue's a bad man, though. I saw a clip where he threw a right uppercut and then a left body shot, and it was fucking brilliant. Yeah, but Dene was still standing, man. Dene's like 85 years old. No, he was standing. He ran around the room, he ran around the room for a little bit. In some countries, that would have been called off. And then he went on his knees. Yeah, but and, and so this is the point for me, right? Their guys are meant to be running over because Donaire was losing to Burnett in the semi. It was just because Burnett's back went, which is another podcast for another time. Uh, fair enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. What you mean. So I, I was expecting something more than I got from the Inoue fight. Mm-hmm. But now in terms of the New Age Boxing podcast, um, I don't know. So it, it's one of these weird things. So when I'm not on the podcast, what do we talk about? Not much. You have to remember, Martin and Andy are good friends from school. So mm. they have things to talk about on a regular. I'm kind mm. of the, the guy that comes along for the podcast. And I love yeah. both those guys. But I think it's, there'll be something that brings us together. And then we'll go, right, we'll do it. It's like the Wu-Tang, right? You know what I mean? Like you do that first album and you do casuals, everything around me. And it's a massive hit. But then you all got to go and do your solo records. And then eventually, something will bring you guys back and we'll do it again. And you know, hopefully, it'll be explosive. Fair enough. What do you make of the WBC and um, these two Mexican guys that have popped for drugs and nothing happened? <laughs> ah, 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 ah. <sighs> you and I have spoken about this before. I'm so close to just saying everyone should just dope. There's no point in being clean anymore. I think that's dangerous. Well, so the argument swings both ways, Uma. There's the argument that says, yes, if everyone dopes, everyone gets stronger and hits harder. The argument also mm-hmm. says, if everyone dopes, you recover better, you're better able to take those punches. So it's almost and like... Also, if everyone dopes, you're more likely to have fatalities in boxing. Mm, not necessarily. In and out of the ring. Not necessarily. So if we, if we look at where the fatalities are coming now... It's in the weight classes where they don't seem to have a doping problem. So well, it's... clearly they do. These Mexicans are just popped in the lower weight classes. No, no, no. But if you look at the actual numbers, like you, you'd need you'd need like twenty of those guys to pop for it to to be a correlation. The weights you wouldn't want to box in if you want to avoid fatality, um, probably from super fly up to featherweight. You just want to swerve those weight classes. That's where most of the fatalities happen. If yeah, you. I... I heard you talk about this on one of your podcasts. 
And my view of it was, it, it, it's clearly down to a weight cut and accumulation of punches that they take with the weight cut. Um, but now imagine if the person you're fighting against has been doping. Um, now you've got your weight cut, you're taking an accumulation amount of punches, but the punches are harder for longer through the fight. Because I don't think there's a drug that makes your chin better or makes your resistance to punches better because I mean, Carmen had taken it a long time ago. So clearly there isn't. And all that would happen would be that everyone's hitting harder for longer periods of times in more volume or with more volume whilst the person that they're hitting, which is everyone, um, still has the same resistance. People are just going to suffer, if not fatalities, brain damages and sicknesses after boxing. But then again, even outside of boxing, if you suddenly go, everyone can start doping. Now, I don't know enough about it, but I've heard enough stories of people dying and losing limbs from improper take, um, use of drugs. I think that starts to happen as well. Okay, so, God, that's a, that's a lot to chew through. So, One of my theories is this, right? Human beings aren't meant to be 112, 115 pounds, especially not males, right? So mm -hmm. I think there are probably issues around bone density, bone thickness, and I haven't researched this before anyone says, I've got 1,001 papers. No, it's just, it's just my intuitive view that we're not meant to be that small. So when you are that small you're at risk because I don't think... I, I think geographical location or geographical um, origin has a part to play in that. Perhaps to an extent, but if we look at it as your punch is simply a factor of mass times velocity, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that you have to be a bigger guy to have a sickening punch. You might just throw a small hand really quickly. Mm -hmm. So these guys might be taking the same force as a welterweight but mm -hmm. 30 pounds lighter with smaller infrastructure, if that makes sense. So actually, yeah, they're... Also, don't forget accuracy. And if someone can be quicker, they're more likely to be accurate because they're hitting you on the button before you move out of it or out of the way of it, sorry, or before you ride it, like Lanello does brilliantly. To, to an extent, but it's... You want to look at the macros, right? So the macros are the force hitting the target and the ability of the target to withstand the force. Now, I think there are compounding factors. I think if you're dehydrating severely to make weight, I think that's a problem. I think if you're just giving boxers water between rounds, what you're doing is you're diluting the mineral content of the cerebrospinal fluid. So it's mm -hmm. not as dense as it should be. So I think that's a problem. I think there's probably a genetic component to it. You're probably predisposed to brain injury for some reason or other. And I also just think, you know, there's a physiological component. Maybe your, your skull wall's too thick or too thin. I think, so, when these things happen and they're tragic, I think there are a number of factors that come into it. Now, performance-enhancing drugs are an element of that. But if, if that were the case, too, why are there no fatalities in the heavyweights? And look how many of them are on it. Yeah, heavyweights are built differently. Um, that, that was my point. They're a different breed of men. But ultimately, though, um, Terry, what you've got to think is this, right? And I was just thinking of this now. The excitement and the attraction in sport is seeing human beings, male or female, in whatever discipline, compete 
to demonstrate to us the potential, the human potential within their field. And knowing that what they've had to do, assuming it's ethical and it's based of pure effort, diligence and discipline, attracts us to it, to say, look what the human body can achieve through these very simple things that most people wouldn't do. Now, if all of a sudden you open boxes to dolphin, it loses that credibility, it loses that attraction as a thing of this is what human beings can do. It just becomes a fucking circus show then, doesn't it? And it will put a lot of people off. It will certainly put me off. If, if drugs were suddenly to become legal in boxing, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll fucking retire the next, well, the same day. And I, I don't think I'll be alone in that. Um, there'll be no honour in it either. As much as I'm competitive and I love winning, I never like to cheat to win because I think then you have an empty victory. So to make, yeah, basically to make it legal would be to ruin the sport. So that's definitely not a solution. Do you know? Do you know what people love, Uma? You know why we watch sport? We want to see freaks. That if you if you look, just in, in fact in life we want to see freaks. If you look at who gets the most views, right? There'll be a woman in Atlanta, Uma, and you know this, right? On Instagram, there'll be a woman in Atlanta who doesn't even work, right? Has done nothing to make her famous. And she will have 392,000 followers. And all she'll have on her bio is 38, 92. And you'll just see this ass that takes up like your whole iPhone Max screen. And this lady's got followers because people love freaks. So I've got a friend who's a female powerlifter. I dare not think what steroids and growth hormones she takes. But she can pull twice what I can probably. And people love that. People view that because they love freaks. And no, Terry. It's because they don't know that she's taking supplements. Oh, come on, what? man. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Wait, the yeah, you might know. The average Joe might not know. The man's suspect it, but they like to look for the... They like to believe that the person isn't. But if what? it was generally, generally known then it'll put people off the sport anyway. I mean, you'll probably still get guys watching and following her because the dicks are getting hard or whatever. But not anyone else. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then another thing as well, you're an African man, I'm an African man. We can both accept that we love a big ass on a woman, right? Now, if I see a woman walking down the street and I think, oh, she's got a big ass, maybe I should go have a word with her. I might go and do it. But, if I was to find out that the arse was fake, all of a sudden, that pedal saw that I put her on, she's no longer on it. Because, oh, it's fake, you boy, anyway. Oh, yeah. That's so painful. Do you know what I mean? It's not the same thing when you think it's original or when you think it's authentic. So when the boxer's a freak, yeah, you're attracted to the boxer because he's freak and you want to watch him fight. But if it's like, oh, he took drugs anyway. Oh, if you want okay. to see that. Do you know so, what I mean? So it loses it. Authenticity. So, who are your favourite boxers of all time? No, oh, of all time, you went there. Yeah. I start with Jack jo Jack Johnson. My very first. I don't know if he doped um, or not. Sugar Ray Robinson. You what? I don't know if these guys doped or not. They're they're too old for me. All right, Jack Johnson. I'm, I, I start from the back. I work my way forward. Jack Johnson, Sugar Ray Robinson, um, Joe Lewis, um, Marciano. Um, Muhammad Ali, probably. Willie Pep, 
Um, Sugar Ray Leonard. Probably. Probably. Tommy Hearn. What? what? Pro- they, they probably doped. No, they, they did. Sugar yeah. Ray Leonard, I've read his book, he says, like, in the early seven, no, in the late 70s down to the early 80s, no one really understood what it was. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger says in his book as well, in the bodybuild, they didn't really know what it was. And that's why I've got the whole thing about people losing limbs and stuff. Arnold Schwarzenegger says it, so does Sugar Ray. Um, the boxers losing legs because they didn't know what they were injecting in themselves yeah. and how much of it. Yeah. You know? And then you go um, to the 90s, Roy so Jones. It was, it was, yeah, it was down the mid-80s the regulations came in and these guys stopped taking it. But even, you know, from the mid-80s onwards, you still had people like Tommy Hearn Fat and Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, you know, Roy Jones. All right, there's some speculation around Roy Jones. Fair enough, I'll take that I think he's chin. admitted it. Well, he failed a drugs test. So, no, no, he failed a drugs test. He's been popped twice, so I think. Yeah, um, I don't want to lie for him or fucking. Nah, he, uh, he, when he came back down from heavyweight, he yeah. popped. Yeah, um, but then yeah, Bernard Hopkins was great. Andre Ward, not even tell me Andre Ward popped because I'll fucking fight you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ward is God. Yeah, um, Floyd Mayweather probably. Now, all these, he's got he's got question marks as well. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But right, Bernard Hopkins in more recent times. Bernard Hopkins. Joe Calzaghi, um, Andre Ward. So my favourite fighters of recent time. Yeah. And I think there's enough to say that these guys are not doping. I'd, I'd question B-Hop. Just, just for the age thing. I'd be like, mm, really? All right, let, let's say B-Hop at his prime. When the guy wouldn't even fucking have salad dressing in his salad. The guy hasn't touched soda in fuck knows how long because he thinks it's poison. And now you, that's the same guy you think is going to start putting chemicals from a lab in his body. Yeah, I like, people protest too much sometimes. That's when I get suspicious. I think he'd actually live the life he, he says. Well, I think he can live the life and have a little bit of growth hormone in there just to, you know, feel a bit younger. I'll I t- I tell you why I believe him. Because speaking for my own self, now I like to do everything natural. Uh, most people know I'm on a plant-based diet. Um, I try to eat as healthy as possible. I don't even like to use fucking conventional salt. I like to use black salt and natural salt. The only moisturizer I would use would be like 100% argan oil, oil um, not what, not olive oil, um, coconut oil. You know, I don't even use fucking deodorant. I don't even use perfumes. I use as a salt. There's a rock salt I use as my deodorant. I use traditional oils. My food is healthy and organic and all that shit. I was ill all of last week. I didn't touch a single pharmaceutical. I don't trust the stuff. I don't take any protein shakes. I don't take any supplements. I don't take any vitamins and all this crap. Everything I take is natural, as, as natural as I can believe it is. Now, if someone gives me something that was made in a lab and said, take this and makes you fit, I like fuck I would want to put that in my body. And I'm not even as extreme as Bernard Hopkins was because I would have salad dressing. I would have some chips. He wouldn't have fried food. I would have sold if I went to the cinema. He wouldn't. So for me to know myself, knowing that I'm nowhere near his level and I still wouldn't take anything that was made in the lab unless I absolutely had to, i.e. I was still in the doctors and I had an operation or whatever, um, then I, I, I would believe that he wouldn't put that stuff in his body either. Did you know he's gone vegan? Yeah, and he says fighters shouldn't because he wasn't. And I'm like, well, you wasn't, so how do you know that it's not fit to fighters? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no look this, so I keep I'll go around in the circles with this doping is this minefield where 
I think in boxing, you'll dope and you'll be forgiven because we still love Tony. We still love Holyfield. We still love Tyson. We love all of these guys. And do you know why we love them? We love them because they were freaks. And we won't even discount that by saying you were doping. We just go, you were freaks. Floyd, you were a freak. Manny Pacquiao, yeah, you were a freak. The back to our point, though, is hell. It's not because it's making it illegal fucks up the whole sport. But it what levels the playing field, right? What right right now, right now, the issue is there are boxers going on the assumption that the other guy's clean. So the other guy's coming in clean. So mm-hmm. the, the, the asymmetry and capability is what's probably leading to a lot of fucked up things happening in the ring. So if I said, look, pay-per-view fighter one, pay-per-view fighter two, just like they used to do, was it Pride? I think it was Pride Fighting Championship. We're not going to test you for drugs. Okay, read into that what you will. We're not gonna test you. And then both guys can you can get Memo Heredia, you can get Alex Ariza. We'll see you guys dance in the ring. Just two freaks going at it, like when no, you had Marquez versus that, Pacquiao. Yeah, that's not even a sport. That's just the, what that then becomes is an even smaller niche than it already is now, where there was just a very small number of people that are interested in this freak show, and everyone else is out about that. It's where we're headed. Look, Marquez versus Pacquiao. We still rate that as one of the great knockouts in history, right? I don't believe either of those two guys were clean. I don't believe there was any testing for that fight. And Marquez looked like a completely different human being after that fight. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he fights Bradley afterwards. And you know Bradley insists on that drug testing. Whoa, completely different Marquez. Yeah. Hmm. You see, and, and so that's where I... Because I'm like, look, if let's say I trained you, for example, Luma. What would keep me up at night is, what if the other guy's juicing? Like, Dan Aziz has got a fight coming up. I don't know who it's against, but I said to him, can we get, a, can we get UCAD involved? Because I have questions. I have questions. And I worry. On who? On Dan or the person? Nah, not Dan, man. Fucking hell. Okay. Like, I mean, Dan, Dan listen... Dan's in the mountains in Congo somewhere, just literally pulling bananas off trees and just eating them, man, <laughs> and just chewing down rocks. I mean, you know what Dan's like. Dan, <laughs> Dan was born tough. Yeah, Dan, Dan's got some mad constitution. Like, I don't, think yeah. he, I don't think he's descended from the same ancestor. I don't even think we're from a common ancestor. <laughs> now, nah, real talk, love Dan to pieces, but you're not meant to hit that hard when you don't even look like you do. Yeah. Do you know what it is, though, with Dan? It's fucking weird, exactly what you just said. From the outside, it looks like he's just touching. But when you're inside, what you're feeling is fucking hard. And it's so weird. Totally, I haven't worked it out. And I've spotted him more rounds than I, than I can remember. When you're in there, it feels like he's throwing haymakers. When you step out of the ring, you're watching him spot someone off, and it looks like he's just touching them until they fall on the floor. Listen, I felt it. I was like, nah, nah, this is cool. This is cool. What the <laughs> fuck was that? <laughs> yeah. Now, shout out Dan Aziz. He's fighting um, this Saturday, actually, on the MTK show. So if anyone can go out, go out and support Dan. If you can tune in, tune in and support Dan. Yeah. And then um, well, Big Fight coming up towards the end of the year as well. How he's not on a televised platform is beyond me because the guy delivers. Pending, Pending man. Everything's timing. <laughs> <laughs> so, it uh, is. His time will come. His time, his time will come. If you think about it, yeah, 
Um, sorry if I'm exposing you, Dan, here, but when when Dan first turned pro, he wasn't sure he was who, who he was turning pro with, what sort of deal he was going to get, where, where it was going, like how quickly it was going to take off. And he's done so well in such a short space of time. Um, reality of the situation is he's already exceeded expectations in, in regards to what he thought he'll be doing at this point of his career. Um, so I don't think he's got a problem with being patient for his time because he can see what's happening. He does have momentum. He's Southern Area Light Heavyweight Champion. He's boxed in Sky Sports. He's beat another um, prospect. Um, he's got a good fight, like I said, coming up at the end of the year should everything go well. Um, he's having a takeover this weekend and I expect he's putting a good performance. And things are flowing for him in the right way. Even his engagement, he's got his local community behind him. And he's a likable guy. So people who he interacts with get behind him. People are on the, um, um, Dan Aziz um, train. So he doesn't need to rush anything, in my opinion. I think just keep chipping away and your time will come. Because it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You don't need to be on TV straight away. Just make sure that when it comes, you take it, you own it, and you make it fucking last long. Because with that Duffield fight, he stepped up a level where you saw you saw Killer Dan. You know the Dan that you knew was always in there? Listen, that Dan's been in every fight. <laughs> no, no, because when he fought the Croatian guy, and the Croatian guy just wasn't there to fight, and you could see Dan was like, what the hell is going on here? But with yeah. Duffield, as soon as he had him hurt, he was like, Nah, this can't this can't go on much longer. Yeah, well, as he goes up the levels, one of two things will happen: they'll either come to fight and get hurt, or they'll come to run and lose the fight on point. So he wouldn't have that problem as he goes up the levels, you know. No, you're absolutely right. So my my thing is get behind him. Like I still think back to that that cool box trio. Well, actually, it was four of you because you had Muzzy in there as well. I always forget that. Yeah. You, Shout out, Mo. Yeah. you, Mo, Lawrence, Dan. And I look at where you, how far you guys have come, and I'm like, fuck, imagine you guys are stuck together, man. It'd be like the, the boxing Beatles. The, the boxing Mopogo trap. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, man, we're, we're claiming that, man. That's Southern African. You guys, you got to earn that. <laughs> we're cut, we're built differently out here, man. <laughs> but now... And, and it's good to see all of you guys are soaring. And you are, like, you know, from, like I said earlier, we were guys talking about it. Like, we were the, we were the outsiders looking in, going, oh, when we're in, this is what we're going to do. And then everyone's backing their talk now. Yeah, 100. 100. Yeah, it's, it's exciting stuff, man. Listen, exactly the same stuff I just said about Dan. Um, that's literally what my attitude is right now. And it's just about chipping away and keep going. And, um... You know, everything's going to fall into place. Everyone has their own time. Um, everyone can't be at the top at the same time because then it's not the top, is it? It's just the average. So, um, but at the same time as well, you get what you're prepared for. And if you're not getting what you believe you should have, then you need to look at where you you might not be prepared for it because um, those who get things they aren't prepared for tend to lose it very quickly. So, um, yeah, name of the game is focus on the variables that you can control, which is or which is centered typically around being a better person, um, a better fighter. And um, I guess for me, I've got to manage my own um, uh, media and social media and stuff. Oh, yeah. On that note as well, and I know we're coming towards the end because we'll probably be on this for more longer than an hour now. 
the top box of blogs are coming back very shortly. I'm working on um, an editor very close to that. The top box are engaging um, promo content also coming back very shortly. I've already got someone for that. So it's just about churning a few things out now. Um, yeah, like, listen, look, guys, I'm back and kicking. I'm alive. I'm knocking people out. I'm going to continue to do that. I'm seeing Frank tomorrow, actually. Um, so I should have some very good news coming up. And um, the momentum is right. The flow is right. And just get on this train because 2020... Actually, I'm not going to put numbers and time scales in it. I just know that the fucking momentum is right. Everything's going good. I feel like I've got everything under control finally again. And um, it's an exciting time. One victim at a time. One victim at a time. That's how simple it is. That's the same night, everyone. Yeah. You know, that's what I say to people. When people ring me and they're, ah, this, 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 I'm like, no, 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 no. Just write this down. Wherever it is you look every morning, just go, one victim at a time. And that's all it is. Because just I knock everyone out. <laughs> yeah. Well, just knock look, everyone out. Look, they're the guys that eat in boxing. Like, they, could, they can have 10 losses. If you know there's a 50-50 chance this guy's going to knock someone's spark out, you're buying tickets. Yeah. We told no, you, we're weird. Just knock everyone out. I don't even care about opponents. I was trying to keep it hush, but fuck it, let them hear it. My mentality is knock everyone out, that's it. So that's my attitude. You know my last opponent, yeah? He pulled, obviously Luke Blackledge pulled out two days before the fight. I got a last minute replacement. He, he turned up at the way in the day before with what seemed to be his girlfriend or fiance, his wife, I don't know, his partner. Um, and he had a little baby with him. And my first instinct was, oh my God, like this guy is stepped in on two days notice. He's doing me a favor. He's come with his family. Look at his young, beautiful family. Oh man, like I should just box a victory and let him get home with his family. Go on his door looking at her dad, like all fucked up. And then after, like literally about five minutes after, I was like, fuck that. I've got a family now. My mum needs my fucking success. And the family that I'm going to have in the future is going to need my success. So fuck him and fuck everything he's doing. And he's not here for me. He's here because he needs a paycheck. So I'm turning up on the night. I'm going to fucking knock him out. But that's the mindset I didn't have a year ago. A year ago, I definitely would have gone in there trying to win on points because I felt sorry for the guy. So, it's savage. Fuck it. It's him or me. I'm knocking everyone out. That's the mindset. Yeah, exactly. Because the downside of the sport, man, is so lonely. Like, I remember on Saturdays, we used to train with this old-timer called Keith Bristol. Is it Keith Bristol? I think it is. And he fought guys like Dennis Andrews at light heavyweight in the 80s, right? And there were televised fights. You can see these fights on YouTube. So, he had a reasonable amount of status. But, he, ain't got, he hasn't got anything now. And mm. you realise, and he wasn't a bad fighter. Like, he had a reasonable record, but, you know, he wasn't the killer that he should have been. Dennis Andrews was, and Dennis Andrews made a better living out of it than he did. And that's how people have to be in this sport. You know, it's kill or be killed. And, I, I, and it's insensitive to use that in the current climate, so I probably shouldn't use it. I should just say, it's you or it's me. Just knock everyone out. Yeah. I saw any fucking soundtrack that runs in my head. Knock everyone out. <laughs> <laughs> right, Uma, let's 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 wrap this up because you know I normally have a thirty-minute rule, and we've just kicked a massive hole through that, but it was worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll put five people might listen to it for this point. So again, I said five people might listen to it for this point. I know, you know what, in terms of engagement, like I did the two-hour one with Greg Hackett, the average listen time 
across, I think we did a thousand spins on that. The average listen time was 145. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Fans are loyal, man. They, 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 because they know that this is this is that quality content. Like you know, we we ask some we ask decent questions, man. I like to think. So you're always gonna there's always gonna be something at some point in the spot. You don't want to miss anything in it because there'll be something in there for everyone. That's true. Random gems get put out. But let me make sure I get this right. So it's Instagram top boxer Sadiq, Twitter mm-hmm. top boxer Sadiq. There's mm-hmm. a new Sadiq Facebook page. So get involved with all of that. Um, new content's going to hit soon. Um, and YouTube. Yes, the YouTube channel. So the Umasadi YouTube channel, where you'll probably find out when, 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 where, and who the next fight is. Mm-hmm. Look, and I, I say this with a massive degree of bias, but look, there are some people you need to get behind because this is how you get a sense of what boxing really is. And I put Uma in that category, like I do Dan Aziz as well, and others before people say I'm ignoring them. But these are the guys. It's, I think it's, it's easy when you're one of the fated ones by Hearn and so forth. But sometimes this is, this is what the sport really is. It's the stories like this. The, the stumbles, but the recovery and the growth that make boxing a special sport. 100%. 100%. And, and Umar is going to go and knock everybody out because that's his mantra. I'm knocking everybody out. You Did land them the fuck up. I'm knocking them all out. Get the t-shirt. Okay, guys, look, you don't need to know who I am. <laughs> you don't need to know where I am. So I want to say, listen, have a great day and make sure you like, share and subscribe as always. Take care. <laughs>